Praise the Lord for that. We're going to begin a series of sermons in our Back to the Basics series out of the book of Revelation. And this is usually something that you promote and you push and you, um, you encourage and get people to church on. Because people are interested in what the book of Revelation means. And I'm not going to dive... De- Listen, you could spend years studying the book of Revelation. This will be about a four or five week study. Uh, and um, uh, I, I'm really excited about it. Uh, so uh, we're going to jump in today. And really, this morning is going to tie in the, church, the doctrine of the church and then the doctrine of the end times and kind of tie those together. We've been looking at the church. Last week we looked at why we are uh, independent fundamental Baptist, and uh, we've uh, talked about the church over the uh, several Sundays. This week we're going to look at how the church plays a role in the book of Revelation. So stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Revelation chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 5, and we'll read the even verses together, the odd-numbered verses I'll read alone, with the exception of verse 5. Once we're done reading verse 4, we will also read verse 5 together. I'll begin in verse 1 alone. The Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto the servant John. Together, verse 2, Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Together, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince, king of the earth, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The title of the sermon this morning is just simply this. The church. The church's role in Revelation. The church's role in Revelation. And Lord, um, practical applications we can make to our lives. So as we take a step uh, back, even in history, at the beginning of the sermon, and see just how powerful and accurate your word is, Lord, may that inspire us and excite us for what's to come. Lord, help us to live our lives in anticipation of your coming, your rapture. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay. Um, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, there will be some Bible verses on the screen. I'm not a big fan of putting Bible verses on the screen because I want you to bring your Bible to church. And so we're not going to be putting verses on the screen uh, outside of the sermon unless we have a special occasion like this. We'll get to those in a minute. So instead of having you flip all over the, the Bible and, uh, and uh, being sl- slowed down by that, let me go ahead and have you, though, turn over to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to be in the books of Daniel and Revelation. Daniel's in the Old Testament. It's after the book of Psalm, uh, but prior to all those really short books. So um, uh, you can turn over there. Isaiah, Jeremiah... Let's see, should I try this? Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel. There it is. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. If you've got to Hosea or Joel, you've gone too far. If you're at Isaiah, keep turning to the right. Daniel chapter 9. The Word of God is incredibly accurate. And it's, its prophecies in the past that have already been fulfilled are incredibly accurate. What I'm about to show you this morning uh, is... If you've never seen this before, it will blow you away. It will blow you away. 
It will make you walk away from church this morning saying, I will never, ever doubt whether or not the Bible is true ever again. This is really phenomenal. Look at verse 24. It says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Chapter 9, verse 24. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, or sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in a troublous times, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city, and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be uh, with a food, uh, w- uh, rather with a flood, uh, until the end of the war uh, desolations are determined. So uh, let me give you, a, I'm going to throw several things up here on the screen, uh, kind of rapid fire at you, to help you understand what this 70 weeks prophecy is. Go ahead and throw that up there first. We see here, this is Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Now, I need you to mentally engage and if you do, I promise you, it will pay off with a fascinating reward. Go ahead and put the next slide up there for me. What is a week? Now, when we think of a week, we think of uh, a seven-day unit. All right, a week, by definition, is a group of seven units. A group of seven units. Now, in our uh, ver- uh, 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 the vocabulary we use, the way we're used to thinking of a week, we have week Connected to seven days. But notice that day is a unit. All right. So um, uh, go ahead and throw the next slide up there. Here, a week did not represent a, a seven day period. It represented a seven year period. So when Daniel is talking about 70 weeks, he's talking about 70 groups of seven years or a time span of 490 years. 490 years. Everybody with me so far? Now, he breaks down this 70 weeks in this prophecy, this God-given prophecy, into three sections. Go ahead and throw the next slide up there for me. The first one is seven weeks. That is a total. Seven, seven, uh, seven times seven is 49 years. The next slide. Plus the 62 weeks, all right, uh, that equals 434 years. And all of that added together is 69 weeks or 483 years. Everybody with me? So he breaks it into three groups, six weeks, or rather seven weeks, 62 weeks, and then there is a one-week period or a seven-year period left over. We'll get into the seven-year period in a minute. So uh, go ahead and throw the next slide up there for me. Um, 69 weeks equals 483 years. Now notice, go back with me to Daniel chapter 9 and look at, um, let's see here, look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that... From the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks. Now, what is that? Um, They were in captivity in Babylon. Babylon would be taken over by another uh, uh, kingdom. And the king of that kingdom would, in the future uh, date from Daniel writing this, would send the Israelites back to rebuild Jerusalem. And Daniel is saying that this 483-week period, this 483-year period, rather, uh, will begin when they are officially sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild it. 
When did that happen? That happened 450 years before Christ. Nehemiah was sent from King Artaxerxes' castle, where he was the cupbearer, to go and rebuild Jerusalem in B.C. 450. Now, remember, we count up. They counted down. All right? Um, Interestingly enough, Jesus died, going to the next slide up there, in A.D. 33. He is the center of the calendar. By the way, don't don't you think that probably drives the atheist crowd crazy? What year is it? It's 2018. 2018, What does that mean? Oh, 2018 uh, 2018 years since Jesus was born. But I thought you didn't believe in God. Ah, they can't say that. All right. I love love doing that to an atheist. Now, what is 450 plus 33 equal? Going through the next slide up. 483 years. Daniel predicted that 483 years after they were sent to rebuild Jerusalem, that the Messiah would be cut off. That's the very year that Jesus died. How many of you have never seen that before? Isn't that amazing? Isn't the Bible so accurate? And if they had understood this prophecy uh, back before Jesus was born, they could have known that his birth was at any moment. Was at any moment. They didn't know the age he was going to die. But they knew it had to be within a, a group of years, correct? And so 483 years, which is 69 groups of seven years, is to the year that Jesus died on the cross. Go ahead and put the next slide up there for me. So that first seven-week period was to be the rebuilding of Jerusalem. All right, That 49 years was the rebuilding and reestablishment of Jerusalem. The next 62 weeks was a countdown to Christ's death. So what about that 70th week? What about that 70th week? Well, the 70th week, the the 70th group of seven years, or that last seven-year period, is divided or separated from the other 69 and has yet to happen. That 70th week is the seven-year tribulation found in the book of Revelation. We are living, right now, we are living between the 69th week and the 70th week. And that, that, uh, that space of time between the 69th week and the 70th week is the church age. That is the church age. That gaps the 69th week uh, from the 70th week. So um, when will the 70th week begin? When will the great tribulation begin? What an incredible question. Um, can I tell you? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But I've got to tell you, and over the next several weeks I'll show you why, I believe we're getting very, very close to the end of the church age and the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Um, this morning we're going to focus on the church and its role in the end times because when the church leaves, that makes room for the Great Tribulation To begin, I propose that we are at the end of the church age and that the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, could very easily happen at any moment. My friends, it could happen during this service. You say, what is that? Well, hold on. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. I propose that God has given us a whole lot of work to do before his return. He has commissioned the church to work 
W-O-R-K, work. That doesn't mean come sit on a pew, listen to a sermon and go home and forget about church for the next six days. That means get involved. That means know uh, what uh, the church has been commissioned to do and get involved in it. Now, are you doing the work that God has laid out for you to do? Are you involved in the work of the church? Are you ready to stand before your God and answer for the way that you have lived? And we're going to look at uh, four thoughts about the church and their role here in the book of Revelation. Point number one this morning. Notice the rise of the church age. The rise of of the church age. Uh, let's see. Uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are written to seven churches. Now, I'm going to tell you what the debate in the Christian world is, and I'm not going to tell you where I stand because I can't stand on either one very firmly. Uh, I have a, a leaning on it, but I'll just tell you what they are. Uh, some people believe that Revelation, that seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3 represent the seven different types of church throughout the history of the church age, finishing with the church of Laodicea, the last, the seventh one. And that is a the flavor of the churches of uh, the, the, the end times prior to the rapture of the church or prior to the end of the church age. Other people believe that the seven churches represented in Revelations 2 and 3 are just seven individual churches and have no representation of, um, uh, of, uh, of any particular uh, age of time. Or dispensation of time. And I will say this, that regardless of which view you hold to, all types of the seven churches can be found uh, today. There are churches that are lukewarm and man, they uh, are lax with the, uh, the, 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 the holiness of the Bible. They let anything and everything go and you just show up and love Jesus and we won't judge. And then you have other churches that have the problems that the church of Ephesus had. We'll get into that in a minute. And uh, uh, you have all types of churches around today. Is there a particular flavor of the churches as a whole that matches up? I, I'm not going to decide that or say, but I will just say that the rise of the church age began uh, with the ascension of Jesus uh, to heaven. Now, uh, did you know that the Bible in the Old Testament predicted the church age? Let me uh, take you over to Daniel chapter 2. You're in Daniel, I believe it's 9. Turn over to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. Now, this is something that I did not know prior to uh, the putting together of this message. So, uh, if I didn't know it, chances are there's a lot of you that didn't know it. Uh, some of you Bible scholars, Bible theologians, some of you may have known this. Uh, you were ahead of me on this, but um, this is really fascinating. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Now, to lay the background before we read this, uh, Daniel has been carried away to captivity into Babylon. He's in Babylon, and um, he has been chosen to be one of the king's wise men. All right, He's an advisor to the king. So the king has a really weird dream, and the king doesn't know what the dream means. And so Daniel ends up in his palace and the uh, courtroom, and the dream is explained to Daniel. And uh, just to recap here, the dream was of a statue that stood, and different parts of the statue were made out of different parts of metal. This much of the story I knew. The gold, the head was made out of gold, and that was a picture of uh, his kingdom, of the kingdom of Babylon. And he was the greatest kingdom of the rest of them. And then the various parts of that statue, that, that bodied statue, were made out of weaker and weaker materials representing the various kingdoms to come, with the bottom being the Roman Empire, which would be around when Jesus lived. And so you, we look back, 
We look back at the Roman Empire like it was some kind of great empire. It was nothing compared to the, the, the empire of Babylon. So the various parts of the statue were the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, and the Roman Empire. But here is what I didn't know. Look at verse 44. And, and, and so uh, uh, Daniel explains all that prior to verse 44. It says there, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Now, mark that in your Bibles. Shall uh, the God of heaven... Set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. What kingdom is this talking about? What kingdom is this talking about? Let me show you. I believe that this kingdom was the church. Um, Let me throw some verses up on the screen here for you and and see if I can prove this to you. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, you can throw that up there, Brother Matt. Verse 1 and 2, look there. It says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So this is John the Baptist prior to Jesus' public ministry, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's saying, hey, listen, right around the corner, the kingdom of heaven is coming. This kingdom was predicted or foretold by Daniel in 244. Throw the next one up there for me. Uh, this is Jesus speaking to uh, uh, Peter in Matthew chapter 16. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We've looked at this passage a few weeks back. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Look at verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, John the Baptist told us that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And now Jesus is telling Peter he's going to build the church on him. And he's going to give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I believe that the church and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous. Go on to the next slide. Mark 9, 1. And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now that verse has always confused me. Because I thought all the disciples died before the second coming of Christ happened. So none of them saw the kingdom of God prior to their death. How does that work? Well, if the kingdom of God is the church, most all of them saw the church, did they not? Before they tasted death. So what is the kingdom of heaven? I believe that the kingdom of heaven is the church of Christ that is greater than any empire that's ever been built. By you coming and being associated with White Oak Baptist Church, joining our church, attending our church, being here, you are joining in on a kingdom of heaven that is greater than any political kingdom that has ever existed. Amen. So we see the rise of the church. Number two, notice the reprimand of the churches. The reprimand of the churches. Turn over to Revelation chapter 2 with me where we started this morning. And I would recommend you hold your place there in Daniel. But uh, Revelation chapter 2. I believe we'll be coming back to Daniel before the sermon's over. But Revelation 2. Um, by the way, I meant to say this in the introduction. John, who wrote the book, John, this would have been the disciple John, uh, that wrote the book of John and the books of First and Second and Third John. This is the same John that uh, was called the beloved of the Savior. This is the same John that rested his head on uh, the arrested uh, his head on the, the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. This is the same John they put in a pot of boiling oil trying to kill him. 
God wasn't done with him yet, so the boiling oil had no effect on him. And so since they couldn't kill him that way, what did they do? They exiled him to an island called Patmos where no one lived and where he could not get off the island. And uh, they expected wild animals to eat him there since they couldn't kill him. While he was on this island, God uh, caught him up in a vision and gave him the book of Revelation to write down. So that's the background of the book of Revelation. You say, well, how do we know that it's accurate? Well, interestingly enough, we'll see this throughout the series, uh, many series here. The book of Revelation fits in perfectly with all of the Old Testament prophets and prophecies about the end times. And so it's, uh, we know that it's accurate because of how intricately accurate it fits with Old Testament prophecies. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And keep in mind that the rest of the book of Revelation is built with this at the beginning. Okay, verse, uh, verse 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus, right. I would underline Ephesus. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Okay, so what are the seven golden candlesticks? The seven golden candlesticks are a representation of the seven churches found in Revelation 2 and 3. All throughout the book of Revelation, you find things in groups of seven, because seven is God's number. And so seven uh, churches, uh, the seven candlesticks are representative of the seven churches. By the way, what do candlesticks do? They give off light. What is the church supposed to do? Give off light to the community. Now, we're going to look at the reprimand of the churches. Some good things were said. Look down at verse 4. Speaking of the church of Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Why? Because thou hast left thy first love. What were they doing? They were doing all the right things. They were, they were doing all the work of the church. They were busy. Man, they were a busy church. But they had forgot to love God. They forgot to love God. They got into the nuts and bolts. They got into the schedule and the flow of things, and they quit reading their Bibles. They quit praying. They quit worshiping God. And that was so severe that in that portion to that church, um, God threatened to take their candle away, their light away. And so make sure you're walking with God. All right, how about the church of Smyrna? Smyrna's next. And God, uh, uh, Smyrna was a church under he- that was heavily persecuted, but no reprimand of this church was offered. Now look down at uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12, and you see uh, Pergamos, the church at Pergamos, city of Pergamos, their great error was the doctrine of Balaam. Look at verse 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write. Okay, uh, look down at verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast... Uh, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam and taught Balak to cast stumbling blocks before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, uh, which things I hate. So what was the gripe against the church at Pergamos? They allowed people to remain in the body of Christ who were both living in fornication and leading others to do the same. God said, my church is to be pure. You're not to turn a blind eye to people who are living in this sin. You're to stand up to it. Uh, the next church is Thyatira. Thyatira. Look at verse 18. And, uh, and under the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the city of Thyatira, right? These things save the Son of God, which has... Uh, which hath his eyes like a, unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. We find that description uh, uh, later in the book. But this is the church of Thyatira. What was their problem? Well, they had seductive teachers in their church, 
and there was a problem with fornication as well in their church. Look at verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest the woman Jezebel, we all know who Jezebel is, right? Which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my uh, servants to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. The, the accusation here is even greater than against the church of Pergamos because they were allowing women who were sexually loose to hold places of prominence and leadership in the church. And through that position of prominence, they were, these women were seducing men into sleeping with them, committing lewd acts with them, committing sexual acts with them. So that was the problem with this church. Now, by the way, there's good said by most of these churches, but we're pointing out the reprimands. All right, how about the church of Sardis? Church, church of Sardis. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I have known thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. By the way, you find that phrase seven spirits all throughout the book of Revelation. In the book of Isaiah, there is a description of the seven spirits, seven types of spirits of the Holy Spirits. It's referencing, in my strong opinion, it's referencing that. But this letter is written to the church of Sardis. Look down at verse 2, we see the reprimand. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to, uh, to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. So what was the reprimand of the church of Sardis? That their motives in doing the work of God were impure. Let me ask you a question. When you get asked to teach a Sunday school class, are you teaching so your name can be lifted up and elevated or so that you can lift up and edify the name of Christ? When you stand back here and sing in the choir, are you doing it so you can be up in front of the whole church and have the whole church look at you and so you can be a bigger deal? Or are you doing it so that you can lift up the name of Jesus through song and edify Him and prepare people's heart for the preaching of God's Word? When you stand up here and you hold a microphone and you sing a special, as uh, we have a special every week, are you doing that for your glory or are you doing that for His glory? Uh, when you come and you show up and you clean the church building, are you doing that so other people can praise you or are you doing that so that the building can be cleaned and not be a stumbling block to others that come. The, the, the problem with the church of Sardis is that they were doing the right things. They were doing them with the wrong motives. Now, if you want to know what type of church I would love White Oak Baptist Church to be, it would be the church of Philadelphia. God had no reprimand of this church, not a single negative thing to say. That'll be another study for another time. Uh, how about the church of Laodicea? God's uh, most blistering remarks blistering remand, uh, uh, reprimands were handed to the church of Laodicea. Now, before I read uh, about Laodicea, let me just say, in 2018, the average church in America is a Laodicean church. We have churches where the pastor hardly ever preaches against sin, won't confront sin, won't deal with sin. He just lets it go. We have churches where people are... Uh, uh, let me just say this. I know how to make White Oak Baptist Church a mega church. I know how to do it. If I put a rock band on the platform, I'd run a lot of you out, but I'd bring a lot of people in. Put a rock band on the platform and get up and preach sermons telling everybody every week, you can make it. Jesus loves you. If I preach that way and I had a rock band up here, White Oak Baptist Church would be one of the biggest churches in this area. If you don't believe me, go to some of the big churches around here, and that's what they're doing. That's the model. But numbers is not the goal. Glorifying God is the goal. 
We are not to be a Laodicean church. Look at chapter 3, verse number 14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, speaking of Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Look down at verse 15. I know thy works, speaking of the Laodicean church, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Hey, either get all in on God or get out. Get all in and serve God. Get all in and love God or get out. Quit sitting here pretending like you want to have a foot in the world and a foot in the Bible and, and, and please both. God says, quit being uh, lukewarm. Look at verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest, I am rich and decrease with goods and have uh, need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And those are speaking of their spiritual condition. And the Laodicean church, uh, they they praise themselves as being this godly church that holds up truth. But the truth is they weren't willing to take a stand against anything, against anything. They were a lukewarm church. And i got to tell you, as the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, I study these churches and I am determined to weed out the sin of my life and my heart and keep these things away uh, uh, where God reprimanded these churches. And I want our church to be a Philadelphia church. So you have the reprimand of the churches. Let's move on to... To number three, notice the rapture of the church. We look at the rise of the church age, the reprimand of the churches. Number three, the rapture of the church. Turn over to Revelation 4. Look at verse 1. Now notice how this is laid out. This is very important to understand. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are written to the churches, including us. Chapter 4 deals with the carrying away or the catching up of the church. Look at verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first verse which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. This is the rapture. Verse 1 is the rapture. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardis stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight, like unto an emerald. And round about the throne was four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiments, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. You say, well, who were these four and twenty elders? I'll tell you who I think it was. I believe it was the twelve uh, tribes of, of Jacob, twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve, pe- twelve names of the tribes of Israel, and it was the twelve apostles. These are the twenty-four elders that worshipped God at his throne. Turn over to First Thessalonians chapter 4. should just be a few books back to the left there in your, if you're in Revelation, uh, right before First and Second Timothy. After the book of Colossians, before the book of First and Second Timothy. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 15. Now, keep in mind that in Revelation 4, John said there was a door open, uh, there was a trumpet that blew, and there was a voice that called him to come up hither. And that that is written immediately after he gets through talking to the churches. 
Now, that's very important you understand the timeline there. Now, with that in mind, Paul gives a much deeper description of the very rapture event or the catching away event in 1 Thessalonians 4. See if 15 through 18 doesn't explain that very event. It says, Therefore this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, one uh, quick thing I want to make sure I get out here. The word rapture is not found in the Bible, okay? The catching away, catching away is what that word rapture means. So, uh, uh, to those of you that maybe are unaware of how this works, uh, there's going to come a point in time where the church age comes to an end. You say, Pastor, what will mark the end of the church age? Well, the church age began with the ascension of Christ. He stood up there on that Mount uh, Mount of Olives. He gave his uh, uh, last commands, his commissioned disciples uh, on how to, to, to the churches to work. And then up he went. So the church age began with an ascension. The church age will end with the ascension of the church, the saints within the church. Jesus Christ will not come back to earth. That's the difference between the second coming and the rapture. The rapture is different than the second coming. We'll cover the second coming in another sermon. But Jesus will come back to the cl- clouds, an angel will blow the trumpet, Jesus will shout, and all of us that have Jesus in our hearts that are alive uh, will ascend up to heaven, will we'll go up to meet the Lord in the air. You say, Pastor, when could that happen? It could happen at any moment. Let me quickly give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A. It's timing is a secret. It's timing is a secret. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 31. If you want to flip over there, you can. If not, I'll just read it to you. Listen to this. It says, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four ends, from one end of heaven to the other. I read you verse 31 to help you see that this event is the rapture that Jesus is teaching about. Let me read it again. Listen closely. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. That's that trumpet mentioned in Revelation 4. That's that trumpet mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay? So the trumpet blows. Listen to verse 36. But of that day... An hour knoweth no man. Know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So when is Jesus going to come back? In the clouds. When will the rapture happen? Nobody knows. It's a secret. You say, well, do the angels know? Nope. Does Jesus know? Nope. God in heaven is looking down for that last soul to put their uh, their trust in Jesus. And when he sees that that's been done and the church age has been completed, he'll look at Jesus and he'll say, the church is your bride. Hey, go down there and get your bride. And Jesus is going to come down in the clouds and the trumpet's going to blow and we're going to be out of here. I've seen a bumper sticker that says, in case of rapture, this car is abandoned. You can have it. If the rapture happens while I'm up here preaching, then uh, I'm going to let Mike Syrett come up and finish the sermon. <laughs> Just pick it on you, Mike. Its timing is a secret. Let her be noticed. It will be sudden. It will be sudden. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. You say, Pastor, how's this going to work? 
I mean, he's going to blow the trumpet. Are we going to like slowly start gravitating or rather levitating? And then, you know, slowly everyone's going to be like, bye. Is that how it's going to work? That's how it worked with Jesus. It's not going to happen. It's not how it's going to work with us. Um, I have joked that if the rapture happens, I hope it happens while I'm playing basketball. You see, I'm a white boy and I've never dunked a basketball and I would love to be going up for a layup. And then the trumpet blows, and on the way up, boop, drop it in the hoop. I think that'd be great. Look at verse uh, 50, 51 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. This is speaking of the rapture. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So the trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to go from earth to heaven as fast as you can blink your eyeball. In fact, the fastest you can blink your eyeball is called the twinkling of your eye. Now, there's a slow blink, and there's a fast blink. The fastest you can blink, that's how fast it's going to happen. We'll leave the earth, we'll leave our robe of flesh behind, and God is going to give us a new body that is free of cancer and sickness. Amen, Brother Mike. Free of sickness, free of sorrow, free of depression, free of disorders, free of blood pressure issues. A bunch of people are like, yes, no more blood pressure medicine. It's going to be wonderful. We, we won't have any more marital fights in heaven. We won't have any children that disrespect their parents. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. You say, Pastor, when is Jesus going to come back? I don't know, but I hope it's today. I hope it's today. It's going to be sudden. Letter C, notice, it is only for church-age saints. It is only for church-age saints. Look at um, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 with me. Now, this was something I uncovered and unearthed studying uh, for this series. To be honest, I always thought that when the rapture happened, everybody who's ever gotten saved, whether they were Old Testament, New Testament, they all broke free from the ground and up to heaven they went. Um, I've got to tell you, that's not how it's going to work. You say, well, who's going to be raptured? Just those saved during the church age period. Look at First uh, Thessalonians 4.16. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend uh, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangels, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, the dead in Christ, shall rise first. All right, now that may not be enough evidence to convince you, and I don't have the time this morning uh, to get into the, the, the details of this, but if you go back to Daniel chapter 12, and you study Daniel 12, we're not going to do it this morning, but for those of you that are interested in this, I'll just give you the material. You can go back and look at it yourself. Daniel 12 teaches that many, that many of the Old Testament saints will be resurrected at the same time, and this will happen uh, at, the, at the same time that the, the lost are resurrected at the great white throne judgment, and this is at uh, the end of the millennial reign of Christ. So you say, well, Pastor, what about the saints, the Old Testament prophets that walked the earth after Jesus died? What about them? Well, there was a showing of some 
But that wasn't all of them. Many of them are there in spirit, but they're not there in body. So uh, what will happen is at the very end of the millennial reign of Christ, the Old Testament saints, the large majority of them, at then there will be a resurrection and they'll join up uh, body and spirit with the rest of us. So let me just make sure I recap this really quick. When the trump sounds... And Jesus shouts for his bride to come up. The very, very, very first thing that happens is that those who have lived in the church age and died, their bodies will come up out of the ground and they'll go up first and then we'll come up right behind them. You all understand that? Um, I always wondered about organ donors. If you donate your heart and you're a believer, Let's say my heart gets put in Mike's body since we've deemed him as lost, amen. Um, and I'm saved and Mike's not. And I'm dead in the ground and my, my body's in the ground but not my heart. And Jesus comes back. Is my heart going to rip out of his chest? I don't know. Probably not. But I always wondered that. So I just, you know, when you grow up in church and you hear preachers preaching on this and you're like nine years old, your mind runs a hundred directions. So... Uh, I've, I've always kind of wondered that, but uh, our bodies will our bodies will recompose like they did in Ezekiel, and we'll go up to heaven, and God will give us a new body at that time. Now, so uh, uh, some of this is is familiar with you. You all know this. Others of you it might be new information for you. But let me give you something really, really, really practical and challenging for you this morning. Number four, notice our reckoning in heaven. Our reckoning in heaven. Can you turn over to Matthew chapter 16, verse 27? I want you to see this. I should have had you hold your place in 1 Corinthians. My apologies. If you still have it, hold it. Matthew 16, verse 27. And again, this is also speaking of the rapture. While you're turning there, let me just say... Those of you that study the Bible and you've studied the book of Revelation, I'm probably going to say something over the next few weeks that you don't totally agree with as far as timing goes. All right. Can we agree to get along? The important thing is that Jesus has saved us. We're going to heaven. We don't have to fight about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-tribulation we don't have to argue about when the Old Testament saints rise, and that's fine. You disagree with me, that's okay. Be nice about it, amen? Matthew 16, verse 27 says, Therefore the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Look here. And then, then he shall reward every man according to his works. He shall reward every man according to his works. You say, Pastor, what's going to happen when we get to heaven? If Jesus came back right now and we shot out of here and went up to heaven, um, what's going to happen when we get there? Well, one of the first things that's going to happen is that we're going to have an award banquet, an award ceremony. For some, that will be good. For others, it's going to expose them for the Christian fraud they were. Oh, I don't mean that you weren't actually saved. I just mean that you're either your motives were impure or your life, your Christian life, was a house of cards. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 3, and I want to finish the sermon with this. I really, really want you to 
listen and be challenged by this. Paul is dealing with a very sinful and carnal church in 1 Corinthians. We've been covering them on uh, Wednesday nights for quite some time. We just finished up 2 Corinthians last week. But in our study of 1 Corinthians, we found that Paul dealt was dealing with a church that had a lot of sin struggles. And Paul is trying to rattle their cage and say, Hey, you Christians in Corinth, wake up and understand that there is a reckoning, a day of reckoning coming. There is a day you're going to stand before your God one-on-one and you will give an answer for the way you chose to live your life and uh, the way you chose to run your church. Look at verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are are God's building according to the grace of God which is given unto me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another buildeth thereon. For let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Look at verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones. That's the first group. Wood, hay, stubble, the second group. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. How many here today are saved? Would you raise your hand if you're saved? The foundation's laid. Notice letter A, our foundation. Our foundation isn't good works. Our foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved, it's because Jesus saved you. You can't earn that. You can't earn that. It's given to you as a gift when you extend the hand of faith and receive it. Now, If the foundation of your life is Jesus, your eternal life is Jesus, you will go to heaven. You will go to heaven. However, the rest of what you do matters. You say, well, I'm going to heaven. It's all good. No, it's not all good. You see, God created you to be his workmanship in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10 tells us. You will be judged all by yourself in front of God and the rest of the church saints in heaven after the rapture. Notice uh, letter B, our, our framework, our framework. You see, you are spending your life either serving yourself or serving God. And when you serve God, you're either doing it with pure motives or you're doing it with impure motives. And God in heaven cuts right through all of it. And he sees who you are and what you're doing. And when you're not serving God, or you're not serving God the right way, you are building on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ a structure that's made out of wood, out of hay, and out of stubble. Or you are building, if you're doing it the right way, you are building on that foundation a framework made out of gold and silver and precious stones. And you may be able to put gold paint on the outside of your wood house and you might have everybody deceived and making them think that you're doing things the right way with the right motives, but there's going to be a day in heaven where God calls your name and you come up before God and He takes the framework of your life and He passes it through letter C, His fire. His fire. God's fire. And at that moment, if you were real, all of heaven will know 
your Christian life was a fraud, all of heaven will know. All of heaven will know. You see, he's going to pass your works through a fire. We have a firefighter in the building this morning. He showed me a video sometime back of a nightclub that caught fire and burnt down. You know, that was ugly for me to watch, tough for me to watch. One day, God's going to sit on his throne. Your work's going to go through this fire. And out the other end, you're either going to be handed a pile of ashes that you get to live with for all of eternity. Or he's going to take that gold, silver, and precious stone that has by the fire been refined and remolded and shaped into crowns. And he's going to hand you a set of crowns. Now, what you do between now and the rapture, now and your death, determines whether or not you get handed crowns or you get handed ashes. You know, I fear, I greatly fear that I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to hand me a pile of ashes. And I'm going to have to walk back in front of millions of saints, church saints. And I'm going to have to find my seat at the banquet table in heaven. And I'm going to have to pull up that chair with a blood red face and be embarrassed in front of everybody because I was a fraud and a phony for Christ. That drives me each day to make sure that I am leading my family. I am leading this church. I am leading myself in a way that is uh, uh, honoring God and pure in my motives. And Christian, you must choose to do the same because there will be a day of reckoning. And uh, ma'am, your husband won't stand next to you. Uh, sir, your pastor won't stand next to you. Your boss won't stand next to you. Child, your parents won't stand next to you. You'll stand by yourself and God will glare down at you and he'll see right through who you are. The question today is this. Are you doing what God has created you to do for His work. Say, Pastor, I'm too busy making money. You know God's going to take that money and He's going to burn it up and hand you ashes in heaven. Say, Pastor, I'm too busy paying off uh, my nice luxury car. You know, one day that luxury car will be turned into ashes in heaven. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. I've got uh, uh, family time to spend. And while I'm all for you spending time with your family, when you put your family in front of God, you've turned your family into an idol. And God says uh, that it will burn up into ashes in heaven. And one day God's fire is going to reveal you for who you are. The question today is this. When? As a church, we get to heaven. Your name is called. Gold, silver, and precious stones pass through the fire. Will it be wood, hay, and stubble? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Christian, it's time to analyze and examine what's really important in your life. This carnal church in Corinth, Boy, they needed to be reminded that a day of reckoning was coming. And that day of reckoning is coming for all of us. Say, Pastor, when will that day of reckoning come? It could be hundreds of years from now. Or it could be tomorrow. Only God knows. But I promise you it's coming. Only one soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. How many here today say, Pastor... I may not be the Christian I ought to be, but one thing is for certain. Jesus Christ is my foundation. I know for sure that if I die, I'm going to heaven. Here's my hand of testimony in that. I don't have a foundation of good works. I have a foundation of Jesus Christ. 
Is there one here today who say, Pastor, I thought I was going to heaven before I walked in the door, but now I'm not so sure. Or maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I know. I knew when I walked in the door I wasn't going to heaven. Whatever your status was before you walked into the doors of this church, if you don't know you're going to heaven, don't walk out today without having Jesus Christ be the foundation of your life. You see, he loved you. He died on the cross for you. He paid for your sin because you could not pay for your sin. He suffered eternal death in hell for you on that cross. And then three days later, he stood up and he defeated it. And he wants to give you the gift of eternal life, free of charge. You say, Pastor, how do I get it? You must extend your hand of faith and believe that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again from the dead for you. You put your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. He'll forgive your sins. He'll wipe the slate clean in heaven. He'll give you the gift of eternal life. Is there one here today say, Pastor, if I die today, I don't know where I'd go. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Don't hesitate. Slip it up. Nobody's looking, just me. Slip your hand up so I can pray for you. Is there one? Pastor, I just don't know. Who here today say, Pastor, I'm not so sure that the framework of my life is really the substances that it ought to be. Pastor, I need to work. I need to do the work that God's called me to do before the day of reckoning comes. Pastor, God has pointed out some things in my life that need to change. God has pointed out some motives in my heart in ministry that are impure. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Pastor, please pray for me. How many here today say, Pastor, I'm carrying some pretty heavy burdens right now. Life has got me pretty down, and I need to know that the Lord is right by my side during this tough time. Would you pray for me, Pastor? That way, would you hold your hand up for a moment? I'd like to see who you are, so I know who to pray for. Lord, you see the hands, you know the hearts, you know the hurt, you know the struggles. God, would you please bind these people up in your arms and just love them. Lord, whether it's their fault or someone else's fault or no one's fault at all, but just a trial you've put in their life, would you pour down your compassion on these people that are hurting? Lord, would you help all of us to analyze our service for you and then those of us that are serving our motives in service? May we not be like that reprimanded church whose works were impure. May we work hard. Lord, I pray that you'd come back and rapture me, not while I'm playing basketball, but while I'm leading a soul to Christ or serving in your work. May we be serious about this business. May the framework of our lives, may the framework of this church be gold, silver, and precious stones. Lord, do a great work during this invitation. May decisions be made in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, the altar is open. How about it, Christian? You raised your hand and said there's some things that need to change. Will you come and tell the Lord that you're ready to make those changes? Will you get serious about building the right framework on the foundation of your salvation? If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, I can either speak with you after church in the back and show you from the Bible how you can know that, or Pastor Mike right down here standing in front can take the Bible and show you how you can know that. If you're saved and you've not been baptized, 
Our baptismal waters are warm and ready. We'd love to help you to follow the Lord in that decision. If you've been baptized and saved, but you've not joined our church, we'd love to give you more information about how to make that decision. Let's, let's seriously analyze our hearts today, Christians. Are we playing games with, with God? Or are we serious about our service to Him?